This episode of the Holy Backboard Podcast is brought to you by the Medford Multicultural Fair. Food, music, and dancing from around the world will come together in an annual community celebration Saturday, September 26th. The 22nd annual Greater Medford Multicultural Fair is set from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Apple Park across from Medford City Hall. Admission is free. It's just going to be carnage in the West. It's going to be beautiful carnage. I do not envy any of the top teams. Let's go! Hey everybody, welcome to the Holy Backboard Podcast. We are coming to you with our second Holy Backboard Podcast of the year. We are excited to be on a regular schedule. We're going to be coming at you all year, bringing you blazer information and tidbits from around the league. And my name is Matt. I'm Dustin. And I'm Sage. And we are excited tonight. We are breaking down the Western Conference. Uh, voluntary workouts. The team's going to just coming together and bonding, getting out together. Uh, some trade rumors. It's going to be a great night. So uh, let's just kick things off. Dustin, give us a quick Western Conference breakdown. You know, this is probably the most difficult 1 through 15 breakdown that I can remember. The West is incredibly top heavy. The talent is just amazing, especially when you consider all of the free agent acquisitions and how it reshaped the West. We thought it was strong last year. Unfortunately, injuries to a lot of key players took the playoffs away from us, some of the matchups that we really wanted to see. But if everyone stays healthy, this could go on record as being one of arguably the greatest Western Conference races, you know, that, that I've seen. Crazy, because I've been, I've been forgetting about the Oklahoma City Thunder as being an elite team. Just I think everyone is forgetting about Oklahoma City, and that scares me. As, yeah. a, as a, not only a trailblazer, but a Pacific Northwestern, it pains me that they moved to Oklahoma City, and I will refuse to root for them until, until I pass away. When Seattle gets a team, I think it's going to start to heal some of the wounds, but I still have to see some of the fans coming down from Seattle to Blazer, Oklahoma City games, talking about wanting their Sonics. There, there was a very passionate fan base for the Seattle Supersonics. But anyway, so uh, so yeah, Oklahoma City, obviously Golden State, San Antonio, we got a few at the top there. Dustin, who's your number one? To me, it's easier to break it down into tiers. So there's such a tight race at top, so tier one are the championship contenders. I do have the Spurs at one simply because I thought they were the best team in the West, to be honest, last year. For whatever reason, they were very un-Popovich-like. They could not put the Clippers away when they had them up 3-2, and they were going back to San Antonio for game six. Everyone thought that was going to be signed, sealed, and delivered for the Spurs. But for whatever reason, the Clippers found a way to win. I do think the Spurs... They are a team that has never won back-to-back titles. They always come back the year after they lose, just with that chip on their shoulder, and they have that drive and that hunger. And Popovich knows how to play the fiddle when it comes to those guys. And then you, you factor in LaMarcus Aldridge, who is arguably you know a top three, maybe the best power forward in the game. I would probably go with Anthony Davis, you know, to say just delight. But he's still. You know, he's still a great player, and I think Popovich is going to get the most out of him. Add in David West for the vet minimum. That's just an embarrassment of riches for an already stacked Spurs team. Big question with them is always, can they stay healthy? Is this the year Tim Duncan finally runs out of gas? Ginobili is showing signs of slowing down. And can Parker play with that magic in the postseason that he always has? So that's that's the big questions. If you got to pick someone, I think good money is on San Antonio. What do you guys think? I think, you know, San Antonio is always, always good. And, you know, I keep trying to talk myself out and say LaMarcus is not going to fit in there. But if he is willing to set his ego aside, which isn't if, 
he hasn't, he's kind of had this quiet, sultry ego, I guess. I don't know. Just, it's kind of in the background. If LaMarcus can just put that ego aside and fit into Popovich's system, is able to play the team kind of basketball that Popovich preaches and that the Spurs always play, I think he will. And I think it just seems like every player that goes into the San Antonio system always seems to just fit in. They, you know, whatever Popovich does, he is able to get the players to buy in. And I think LaMarcus will buy in. And I think they are going to be incredibly tough this year. And then David West, obviously Kawhi Leonard. Exactly. Uh, we went, we went five minutes with talking Spurs basketball and didn't even mention Kawhi Leonard. That just shows how ridiculously deep that team is. So aside from the Spurs, number two, I've actually got the Oklahoma City Thunder. That might come as a surprise to some, but I think people are sleeping on this team. They're not remembering that they played the majority of the season without Kevin Durant. They added Ennis Cantor. I know that is a ridiculous contract, but in today's day and age, money doesn't really mean anything when you're going over the salary cap to sign your own players. The salary cap's going to boom anyways. The one, the thunder is they've never had a low post score. It's been Kendrick Perkins, so it's like four on five. But now they have Steven Adams if they want to go defense, and they got Canner if you want to go for a low post score. That team, I, was actually, I was actually really surprised, you know, when the Blazers offered that huge offer sheet to, to Enos Cantor. You know, I'd see him play a little bit, but I actually went back and looked at his stats, obviously, once the Blazers were potentially trying to sign him if Oklahoma City didn't match. And, and I was actually surprised at just how good his numbers were last year. Once he got to the Thunder, I mean, I think he was, I, I haven't looked at him in a while, but I think he was scoring like 17 points a game and rebounding well. So he's a, he's a legitimate low-post threat. With the yeah, worst I mean, defense. Yeah, of course. The knock on him is defense. He's a horrible defensive player. When centers who can play with their back to the basket are becoming so difficult to find, some say the game's passing them by. I don't know how much I buy that. If you can dump the ball into Cantor, he's going to have to go one-on-one because you're not going to double and leave Russ or KD open. So they have an, just a surplus of options on offense. Obviously, the biggest question is going to be, can KD and Russ coexist? You look back at last year in the wins, Russell is only attempting about 20 field goals. In the losses, he's attempting 24. The team has always played better when KD is the number one option. I don't know if Westbrook is ever going to be able to play that Robin role. In his heart, in his mind, he truly believes he's probably the best player in the NBA. So for him to take a backseat to somebody, I I just don't know if that's going to happen. Number three on the holy backboard list is... The Golden State Warriors, I guess the Hunters are now becoming the Hunted. I mean, that's exactly the point. It kind of feels like a slap in the face to give 67-win team third in the power rankings coming off a championship season with the reigning MVP. But you got to look at the Warriors, and everything went right for them last year. Nobody was hurt. Everybody else in the West and in the East, once they got to Cleveland, was hurt. The teams that could have given them you know, the most difficult matchup, the Clippers and the Spurs, both kind of knocked each other out in the first round. Houston came back and took off the Clippers. So I don't want to come across like I'm sour grapes, but I think they just had all of the matchups in their favor. And it was just, it was meant to be. It was destiny for the Golden State Warriors in 2015 to win it all. But like Sage mentioned, the biggest question to me is how are they going to play with a target on their back? I mean, it's so hard to win a championship. But then you hear all of these you know, anecdotes from former NBA players, and they say it's twice as hard to repeat. With the West being so difficult and daunting, they're going to have a tough game nearly every night. I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to repeat. Yeah, the Spurs are better this year, you know, for sure, with LaMarcus. I mean, I think that's – and David West. And Oklahoma City, obviously, is going to be a threat this year that they weren't last year without KD. So um, those are just two teams right there that they're going to now have uh, some of the other teams – that are tough in the West, the Clippers, the Rockets. and Yeah, and, and lastly, to touch on the Warriors, they're 
kryptonite is pure defense. They didn't really have to go up against anybody that can just pound the ball inside. Well, Marcus is great when he's got his back to the basket. Same with Duncan. You know, those guys, a bigger team, I think, could give Golden State a lot of fits. But regardless, they've got Curry, who is just... It pains me to say this because I'm such a historian when it comes to just the thought of old, older players. I always think like the older players did it better than, than the new guys. So to say that he is the greatest shooter of all time, it, it's not hyperbole to me anymore. I think it's between him and Larry Bird, and that's just crazy. But you watch how quick he shoots, and he's the quickest. He's got the quickest release I've ever seen. And it's just the degree of difficulty, but it's just splash. He's simply incredible. But one last thing on Golden State is Clay Thompson. The guy was incredible in the regular season. He was an all-star. He was third-team All-NBA, you know, averaged 22 points, shot 46% from three. But in the postseason, he was I was expecting him to break out and just take his game to another level. But he kind of went and hid behind Steph's shadows. He had a respectable 18.6 points per game in the playoffs, but his three-point shooting really died down 39%. And with somebody with as pure of a stroke as Clay, that's really low. So we'll see if he can you know, keep his game after signing that massive contract in the offseason last year. Moving on to number four, I've got the Clippers. I think in most years, the Clippers are the best team in the West. The team is just stacked. you got CP3, J.J. Redick, and now you've got Paul Pierce, Lance Stevenson, Blake Griffin. They pretty much had a prayer answered by getting DeAndre Jordan out of Mark Cuban's his grips. It just feels like there's always something. Maybe it's the Clippers' aura their history, Chris Paul never making it past the second round, there's always something holding them back. There's no doubt if if Stevenson pans out, they finally have a legit small forward mm-hmm. because Matt Barnes was not cutting it. I think for Chris Paul, it's always been he's the person with the ball. But in the playoffs, you need that second ball handler. So maybe Pierce, maybe Stevenson can be that second ball handler for CP3. You know, that's a great point because Redick is not a ball handler. He's coming off screens. He's kind of doing the Rip Hamilton, spotting up shooting, mm-hmm. but he's not handling the basketball. And ever since they got rid of Darren Collison, they just have not. Austin Rivers is not a backup point guard. So they, I think they have to do something to take the load off of Chris Paul. He cannot do it all. For as much, you know, negativity as he gets for not getting his team to the Western Conference Finals, he's still a Hall of Fame point guard, and he's still one of the best floor generals this game's seen. They're going to have to rally together because I can see this team going, you know, south in a hurry if if egos get in the way. Stevenson, he did not work out at all in Charlotte. Is he going to bring that ego over to Los Angeles if he doesn't start? Does Paul Pierce have anything left? Uh, We saw in the playoffs with the Wizards, you know, he was hitting game winners. I'm still talking that smack like he always does. Like I said, in normal years, they have the talent to be the most talented team in the West. They kind of remind me of the the 99-2000 Trailblazers with how deep they are. But that, just like the Trailblazers of that year, they, they were pretty volatile, and uh, you know anything could set them off. A wait-and-see game with the Clippers. My number five team was in the second tier. They made a very risky move in acquiring Ty Lawson. And it wasn't a risky move because of who they had to give up. It's because of all of his off-the-field troubles that, that came with the multiple DUIs. When he's playing right, you know Ty Lawson is, I think, one of the most slept-on point guards in the game. Without a doubt, he was... I believe one of the leading assisters in the NBA last year. Yeah, and he's so quick and he can get to the paint, even though he's super small, but he's just, he's stocky and he can take the contact. The question I have is, can James Harden play off the ball? Because he acts as their de facto point guard, mm-hmm. but Ty Lawson needs the ball to succeed. So are those two going to be a match made in heaven? Yeah, and I love Patrick Beverly's defense too. And, you know, Ty Lawson, I actually don't think of him as a very good defender. I don't know, maybe he's, maybe he's better than I'm giving him credit for. But I know, like, when Patrick Beverly was on Damian Lillard during the playoffs two years ago, he, for at least several games, was able to, to pretty well shut Damian Lillard down. And I think it was a blessing that he got 
got injured the way he did in that series. And as far as the Blazers go, well, having Ty Lawson, obviously an offensive up over Beverly, but what about his defense? I think that really helps the Rockets out to have such a good defensive point guard on the floor and take a little of the pressure off of Harden because Harden is not a good defender at all. No, I mean, he did make strides from, you know, the previous year to this this current season. We've all seen that YouTube clip of James Harden playing defense, that montage. It's so beautiful. But for the Rockets, for them to win a championship, Dwight Howard has to return to Orlando Magic Dwight Howard. He's got injury issues. If it's his knee, if it's his back, he seems to get along well enough with his teammates there. I don't see him being that same player. He's older. Yeah, he's than older. I mean, he's going on, he's 29, he's going on 30. He did come out of high school, so he's got a lot of miles on those legs. He just... He's never developed. He's never taken his game to the next level. He just hasn't been able to get that back-to-the-basket, dominant Hakeem Olajuwon type of game, You know, even though he worked with the Dream in the offseason, many offseasons. It just it hasn't happened. But regardless, I mean, that team, nobody's... How would you want to face the Rockets in the first round if you're a three-seed or a four-seed? I mean, it's just going to be carnage in the West. It's going to be beautiful carnage. I do not envy any of the top teams because it's going to be so difficult to come out. And... Finally, those those are my championship contenders that I could see coming out of the West. My my second tier only includes one team, and it's scary, but they're beatable, and that's the Memphis Grizzlies. I think they've plateaued. They made it to the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago, but they didn't really add anybody. You know, they lost Costa Kufis. They did add Brandon Wright, which is, you know, I think it's a, a pretty even exchange, but Conley's going into a, a contract year. Marcus will re-up, which is great for them. But Zebo's not getting any younger. And Tony Allen sure isn't getting any younger as well. I do like Courtney Lee. Jeff Green, debatable on how well he's fitting in. He does make a lot of money. I, I'm not sure he's a, he's a pure small forward. And he doesn't just, move the needle much. Yeah, that's the thing. They did not get anybody that moves the needle. Like, they have a solid team, like a really good team. But they've kind of been stuck at that, you know, 8 out of 10. And they just haven't been able to move it. So, so only one team in that tier, and I think they really are the only team that you, that you just feel like they're not more. They haven't kept up with the Joneses, but I agree with that. So let's move down to our third tier and the playoff contenders, the people, the teams that we think might have a chance to get in the playoffs. They're probably not gonna gonna do much once they get there. But Sage, who do we have at number seven? We have the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, and New Sage, Orleans Pelicans. Sage, why are they number seven, Sage? Why? Because Dustin's a hater. I want to hear his point of view, then I'm going to give my point of view. Well, that's good. They're number seven solely because of Anthony Davis and no other reason. This is the epitome of the Anthony Davis show. I'd watch it. Oh, I'll watch it too. He's a phenomenal player. He's arguably a top five player in the game. But what else do they have? He's good enough to get them into the playoffs, but he needs more talent. This feels very similar to the Timberwolves with Kevin Garnett. They just never could surround him with enough talent, and he had to go somewhere else to win a ring. But that's what it feels like. When healthy, which is a big if, the Pelicans only had core together, which is A.D., Oshik, Ryan Anderson, Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, and Drew Holiday healthy for 15 games. So it's a very small sample size. But when they were healthy, they were one of the top offensive units they do have talent. Sage, Sage, let me stop you real quick, though. As a Blazers fan, when somebody says when healthy, I can only think of, well, when Greg Oden was healthy, when Brandon Roy was healthy, when Bill Walton was healthy. You know, we've been down this road. We've heard this before. Like, I, I got to see action speak louder than words, so I need to see them playing on the court. How do you see Oshik, Anthony Davis, and Ryan Anderson playing as a front court? Because I'm not so sure Oshik is a great fit. I don't think he's a great fit either, but he is a very good defensive center. In the middle of the year last year, he wasn't Iron Hands McGee. He was actually catching the ball and putting it up. So if it goes to like 
after the All-Star break, Oshik, I feel very good about it. But if he goes to the playoff, Oshik, man, that fourth year is going to be brutal for the Pelicans. And I think the key the key to their season is keeping Drew Hall to help. When New Orleans traded two lottery picks for him, they were expecting an All-Star, which he was in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, he hasn't been healthy enough to live up to those expectations. I'm not sure he would be an All-Star even when healthy at West. Like we've discussed before, he is on that Mike Conley, Ty Lawson level when he's healthy. So if he can be healthy, they would give a team a scare in the playoffs. I just think the West is too deep this year for them realistically win a series. On paper, I love Drew Holiday with Gentry's system. I mean, with Monty Williams, he was on the whole McMillan's slow pace. Yeah, they definitely need to put the tempo. When you have a player like Anthony Davis who... You know, he doesn't rely on athleticism, but his athleticism is elite. You need to run up and down the floor, you know, take advantage of him. So I definitely do like the hire of Alvin Gentry. A team I did have ahead of the Pelicans before a major injury happened was the Utah Jazz. But as we all know, Dante Exum suffered an ACL tear in FIBA basketball during the summer, which, you know, a lot of Jazz fans are thinking this is the end of the world. As an outsider, I don't think it's that big of a loss whenever, you know, the Trailblazers played them. It was like playing against Rondo. You begged that dude to shoot the basketball because it was Brick City. Yeah, his defense was nice, but I don't know how nice a rookie point guard's defense can be. So there's still you no know, room for him to grow there. But that team really came on. I love Rudy Gobert. I think he is going to be a matchup nightmare for every team. He was constantly blocking LaMarcus's fadeaways. He gave us fits. You got favors down low. Hayward is a budding you know, all-star type player. I think he's perfect for that team. Yeah, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert reminds me of Kevin Matumbo in that his offensive game's not real polished, but he just protect, protects the rim, block shots, and he makes you think about him. There's not a lot of centers in the league right now where you really have to think about him as an offense going against him, where you really have to think, okay, where is this guy? Could he block my shot? And I was, I was at the Jazz game last year, and I remember just every time it just seemed like he was either blocking shots or really, really close to blocking him. And every shot, you know, Damian Lillard would get into the lane and have to float it up over the top of him. Yeah, he's a he's a defensive changer. And that, for not having heard of him before last year, I was really impressed. And that's a great comparison. I love the Matumbo comparison. And the, the thing is, I think he could be scarier just because of how freaky long his arms are. Call him Go-Go Gadget, Stifle Tower. I think that dude's my early frontrunner for defensive player of the year. But moving on to another team, did anybody else forget that Darren Williams moved to Dallas? Yes, yeah. I mean, I don't forgot Darren Williams played basketball. Like, he just went into obscurity after moving on from Jerry Sloan and the Jazz. Like, I can't think of a player in recent history that was so good and just so mediocre. He might be dinged up a little bit. It's not like Brandon Roy where, you know, he had chronic knee injuries. Like, he literally just went from, you know, all-NBA to mediocre. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the best word I can describe Darren Williams as basketball, just mediocre. Well, Jack started over him in Brooklyn. Yeah, he's I mean, captain he, mediocre. So, but I still think I have him nine just because Mark Cuban and Dallas are trying to win. You know, I think they're trying to ride Dirk as long as he's got left. Pretty evident last year when they signed Parsons to that massive offer sheet, which Houston, you know, passed on. They went out and gave Wesley Matthews, who's an elite 3 and D player, but he's still coming off an Achilles. They gave him the max. You know, they're really banking on Wesley, that he's got better basketball in his future. And then they got Zaza Pachulia instead of DeAndre Jordan. I mean, you put DeAndre Jordan instead of Pachulia, and you can kind of see the Mavericks maybe winning a series, definitely in the playoff. But I think they're going to be fighting for it. Dirk can't do it all. He's he's too old. And Darren Williams, he's going to have to really flip the script and play good basketball. His hometown is in Dallas. That's where he's from. So maybe that gets him charged up to go. Lord knows playing for Brooklyn wasn't going to get anybody excited. So hopefully a change of scenery gets his game going as well. Yeah, with Darren Williams, too... 
he just yeah he just seems so good in Utah and so in command of everything and and watching him in New Jersey and then uh, Brooklyn he just looked lethargic and was really out of sorts so hopefully you know I like Darren Williams I like his game I like just how how he controls the ball and I don't know he's just kind of got this this low plotting pace to him but then to break towards the basket I, anyway I just really like him and. I would like to see him do well in Dallas going home. And obviously Wesley Matthews, he's all, like we talked about last time, he's got a soft spot in my heart and all of our hearts, I think, as mm-hmm. Blazer fans, because he just gave so much to this team, put it all on the line. So I would love to see him come back, and I hope he does. But even if everybody's back and everybody's healthy, you know, the West is just so stacked. Normally this, you know, this Dallas team would be definitely a playoff team, you know, in any, it seems like any other year. But I don't know, if this year injuries don't take out some of the other playoff teams. I don't see him making the playoffs with this roster. My favorite move that the Dallas Mavericks made was getting Melvin Hunt from Denver and making their associate head coach. I really love the way that the Nuggets moved the ball when he took over. So and I think gonna, that might be They're going to have to move the ball yeah. because that's, you know, Wesley's a perimeter shooter, Parsons is a nice shooter, Dirk thrives off of the catch and shoot. So if they can swing the ball and get a nice rhythm, they could they could make a little bit of noise, but again, like the Trailblazers, like a lot of teams, they added a lot of parts, so it's going to take a while for them to gel. And Carlisle's uh, one of the best. Carlisle is, he's, I don't know how you can win a championship and be an underrated coach, but I don't think he gets enough love. I, I hope he doesn't get canned because his team's not going to make the playoffs. I don't think any coach really could do much with this roster, so I would like to see Dallas you know, continue to go, go, with, go with Carlisle. It's going to be a, a rough rebuilding couple years maybe multiple years uh, when Dirk come up. So, you know, Mark, yeah. Cuban, if, you're, if you're listening, I, which you probably are, you know, keep Carlisle, do the smart thing. If they can him, there's about 25, 26 teams that would love to have him. Because I really true. think he's elite. Yeah. He is well, elite. Well, number 10, moving on to the Sacramento Kings at number 10. What do you guys think? Uh, is DeMarcus Cousins enough to take that team to even playoff contention? Or do you think they'll be fighting for a spot? They surprised some people last year with their early year record, and then they fell off. What do you guys think about the Sacramento Kings? I think this is the most interesting team in the entire NBA. From the personnel they have, to what they did in the offseason, to the Cousins, George Carl drama, the owners seemingly not being aligned with the head coach. I mean, it just seems like nobody is on the same page. It could blow up and be like, you know, a, a nightly Twitter trending topic with the Kings. Rondo for a year is extremely risky because you know he's only playing for himself, trying to get that next contract. You've got Cousins, who I'm honestly surprised hasn't just erupted. He's so talented. He's the best center in the game. But that team drafts like hell. Ben McLemore is not panning out. Nick Stauskas is not panning They traded Nick Stauskas, Carl Landry, Jason Thompson, the right to swap picks with the 76ers just to shed cap space to sign guys like Ray John Rondo. I just I don't know what management is doing there. They still have Rudy Gay, who, as all Trailblazer fans know, can drop 40 points on any given night. Go three for 14. He can go three for 14. It's just, it's a very, it's like a very ball dominant team. Mm-hmm. When you've got Rondo and you've got Gay and you've got Cousins who all feel like they want and need the ball. Then they go out and draft Willie Cauley-Stein, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially when Moutier was on the board. They need a point guard. It just doesn't seem like they're all on the same page. All right, Dustin, I think you summed that up great. Sacramento Kings, I mean, they are a really interesting team. Uh, moving on to Tier 4, there's actually just one team in this one as well. Uh, tier is, you're trying to win, but you shouldn't be. And all alone is the Los Angeles Lakers. And as much as I dislike Kobe Bryant as a human being, as a player, and yet I respect his talent, they're going to try to win because this is 
Kobe's it could be his last year. Nobody knows, but but they're still still trying to win. They've they swung and missed on every major free agent. They tried to get Lamarcus, and I think it hurt a lot of Blazer fans that he even considered the Lakers and even met with them. But what do you guys think about the Lakers? You know, they, they like you said, they did swing and miss on a lot of free agents, but they went out and signed a lot of veterans that are going to help them win basketball games. You look at Roy Hibbert, look at Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson played really well towards the end of last season. How he's going to be able to do that with more people around him. I mean, everyone was injured, so it was kind of just like the Clarkson show at the end of the year. But Julius Randle's coming off a broken leg. They've got really high hopes for him. Drafted D'Angelo Russell, number two. So they're definitely going to be exciting. Big question. Can Kobe share the ball? Is Kobe going to be healthy? Is Roy Hibbert going to revert back to the defensive player of the year, Hibbert? Or the Hibbert that doesn't score and doesn't rebound in the Eastern Conference Finals? I think they should have went the more of the trying to youth movement route. But because they have Kobe, they're going to try to win. It's not going to be enough. No playoffs this year for you Lakers. Can't say I'm not sorry about that. All right, and our last tier, tier five, ping pong balls, player development, moral victories. Blazer fans, we're up, number 12. We've been here before. We can get through this. We'll do it again. And we're here to help you. We're here to help you. You know, it's going to be an entertaining season. The wins are definitely not going to be in the 50s, but we're going to slash to the hoop. We're not going to settle for contested threes. We're going to pick up the pace, move the ball around. You know, I really like this team. They're really coming together. You look, San Diego, 12, 12 of the players are down there taking Instagrams of themselves, like working out, bonding already. It was like in August, and now reports are coming out that there's voluntary workouts, and you've got, what, almost every guy under contract is out there, as Casey Holdall reported. People might want to see this team win 10, 20 games, but I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. They are too dedicated. They don't have the look of a team that knows they're bad. See the teams who historically who have you know won those amount of games, they know they're bad. They, know, they see the writing on the wall. This team truly believes they're going to win more games than you think they should, and I think they are. I could see them finishing even higher than the Lakers, possibly the Kings if stuff goes south. I really like this team. I think they're going to be entertaining to watch. Keep an eye out on C.J. McCollum and Myers Leonard. They were amazing in the playoffs. Can they keep that rolling in the regular season as you know the scouting is picked up? People know their tendencies. That's going to be the big question mark this year in Rip City. It's always There's always some amount of fun to be had when you're watching guys that you don't know what you're going to get out of them. And you know, I remember even back in the 2003-2004 as we were making that big transition. Even we had Sebastian Telfair and Victor Harappa starting. I mean, there's just this unknown factor. And, and while losing always sucks, and that always is the overarching, puts a dark cloud over everything, it is kind of fun to find the rays of hope. It makes you appreciate those small rays of hope a little bit more. And then, you know, when Brandon Roy comes in, LaMarcus Aldridge, and all of a sudden you make that ascension again, there really is no better feeling than, you know, ascending there. It gets boring at the top all the time, so I'm just trying to look at the glass half full at this point. Amen. Coming in at 13 is the Phoenix Suns. And guys, I'm at a loss for words with this team. They went from having one of the brightest futures two years ago, coming up on everybody and almost making the playoffs when people were projecting him to be bottom feeder to, you know, kind of this cluster of, Brandon Knight signing Tyson Chandler, dealing away a Morris brother, having the other Morris brother publicly demand to be traded on Twitter, trading away the Lakers, you know, top three lottery pick for this year to get Brandon Knight. I like the Kings. I have no idea what this team's doing. Tyson Chandler does nothing for me at this point in his career, especially on a team like the Suns. Len. Len can't stay healthy, though, either. He's always had those ankle or feet problems. But what about Marquise Morris? He's really talented. He 
I think he's going to get his way. He's going to get traded. Some team's going to. He is a very talented player. Do you see the Suns giving into his demands? I think now it's just such a bad look. You want to get him out of your franchise. I mean, I yeah, think- he's, he's toxic in that locker room. He's going to come to work with a bad attitude. And you know, we've all worked in professional environment. You have coworkers can make you want to quit your job. Somebody just exudes so much negativity. You're going to want to kick him to the curb. Do you think the Trailblazers? If you're Neil O'Shea, are you you know trying to look at buying low on this guy? Honestly, I wouldn't just because of the attitude problem, and he misses his brother so much, so I wouldn't. But the team that has his brother might be incentivized to do so. I agree with you again. The Trailblazers, if they are have a surplus of players at one position, I think it is power forward. You really want to get Von Lay some time to let him shine. Myers can play a lot of forward, and you just find Ed Davis offseason to a three-year deal. So he's you know looking locked in that position as well. So I just think it just it log jams the front court. These guys have been working together all offseason so hard, and then you bring in a guy who's pretty much threw a tantrum to get his way out of town. That just doesn't really set a good precedent for a young team. So I, I would pass definitely on Markeith Morris. Moving on, number 14, I really like this team's future. I don't think it's going to translate into wins this year, but the Minnesota Timberwolves, watch out. In a couple years, they're going to be contending. Give it two or three years. I love Towns. I love Wiggins. Levine played fantastic in April, putting up stats as a starter. My question is, how are they going to get better? Because they've definitely got Ricky Rubio's contract on their hands that they're trying to get rid of, reportedly. Pekovic, they don't necessarily need him with Towns and Gorgi Zhang. So they've still got to make some moves to get better. They need to take advantage of those assets, but I love their core. What interests me is Zach Levine played 96% of his time at point guard, but with the roster that they have with Andre Miller and the new guy from Duke, uh, Tyrus Jones. I yeah. He's definitely going to have to play some two, but I think Andre Miller was almost signed as a practice player, as a veteran influence. I don't think at this stage in his career he's really going to be taking anybody's minutes. I think I see Tyus Jones as a career backup at best, kind of in a C. Blake type of mold, just like a, a gritty, he's a, he's a winner, but I don't think you want him starting. But they do have Rubio too, so they've got three-point guards plus Levine, so he is going to have to learn to play off the ball. Matt, do you have anything to say? Yeah, Levine was, I mean, obviously he's an athletic specimen. You had, towards the end of the year, he really came on his offensive game, I think, really started to mature. I think the game started to slow down for him a little bit, and I got to see him play a couple times, and he really looks like a player that I was not expecting that much from Levine. I didn't know that much about him. I hadn't watched him a ton in college, but he kind of came out of nowhere for me. And then Carl Anthony Towns, I think that guy's the real deal. You just watch him play, and he just looks like he has it all together. Only a, few, only a handful of teams have a really good center. I think that, for whatever reason that is in today's game, I do think that if you have a good center, one that can score, I feel like if Elijah Wan came and played in today's NBA, he would just be dominant because there's nobody that could, could contend with him. And he was so skilled. I keep thinking that if, if Dwight Howard were to, were to take that step or you know maybe if a new player like Carl Anthony Towns could take that step, it could take the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't think they will send him for a playoff spot this year, but the future looks really bright. And I think- One last thing on the T-Wolves. Rick Bonnell of the Charlotte Observer mentioned, I think it was in July or August, that mega trade between the Trailblazers and Wolves was going down. It quickly got redacted. Nothing came out of it. People in Charlotte say he's not too credible, so nothing really to talk too much about. Anything on the internet could really be taken as a report. Mentioned Ricky Rubio possibly coming to Portland. The contract scares me, even even though we have cap space, he's making like his four years left on a deal, which caps out, I think, like 13 or 14 million in year four. That That's a lot of money for essentially a backup. I mean, do you guys think he'd be able to fit in Portland? I don't, but I want to know who the other players were. If it was like Peck, I'm afraid... It would have to be packed. They want to get, I mean, you got to get rid of that contract. And is Martin still on the squad? Yeah. He might be interesting. I don't want to trade cap space for interesting. Yeah. No. I think, I think Ricky Rubio's contract's too long. It's just, uh, 
you know, for a guy that can't shoot, um, you know, his passing skills are electric. He's fun to watch, no doubt. But uh, his shooting is just, it's between awful and just bad. You can't pay that that kind of guy that much money because, frankly, he's not going to succeed in the NBA. I mean, maybe, you know, some people have said Jason Kidd, you know, he couldn't shoot when he first came into the NBA. And, you know, it's a fair point. But he turned it around. He's one of the all-time three-point leaders now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you wonder if Rubio could make that make that change but I don't know it's a lot of money to gamble on a maybe exactly you know as much as I would love to watch Ricky Rubio run the break you know you got Dame on one wing Myers trailing maybe Aminu on the other wing it would be electric like you both have said contracts too long too much money for a backup maybe if it was a shorter deal I doubt anything was ever going to come of it it's you know it's fun September banter to talk about but our final team bottom of the west bottom of the barrel the northwest zone Denver Nuggets I really feel for their fans I don't think there's any light at the end of the tunnel for this franchise. Moutier looks nice, but that is it. They really need to move Gallo. They need to move Fareed. They need to move... gave them all big Chandler. They did, and I don't know why. Those are not players that are even going to sniff the playoffs. Yeah, they're not moving the needle, especially that Dano trick, because he is so injury-prone. I do like Mike Malone as a coach, though. I do like Mike Malone, but... You know, Lawson put them in such a bad in a bad spot because of his off-the-court troubles. If he would have stayed squeaky clean, they would have still looked to move him because they were building and they got Moutier, and they could have gotten so much more value because he had so many DUIs. There was only a handful of teams, one, with a need at point guard, and two, willing to roll the dice. And Houston was probably one of two or three teams looking to get him or interested. And that's what happened. They just didn't get any value for Lawson. I didn't, I didn't kind of... He's very talented. He's a good hustle player. Gets a lot of rebounds, gobbles those things up. And his offensive game has actually come along. I mean, I think he's a talent, but he's certainly not a not a player that's going to lead you into the playoffs. He's a good role player. I would love to have him on the Blazers. Super uh, six man or something? Yeah, super six man. I mean, I, I could see him starting on a, on a playoff caliber team, even though he's a little small. Other than that, but he's, he's got to be, you know, he's definitely not going to be the offensive focus of any team. He needs to be like the fourth option, just there to play a good defense and, and gobble up. Robin Lopez of a team. Yes, exactly. I'm going to say this person's name wrong, and I apologize, but Joseph Nurkic, kind of intriguing as well. Okay, I'll give you that. He's he's a second ray of sunshine for the Nuggets. I'll give you that. But 6'11", 280? He's a beast down low, but I, I think they're going to be in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. I think they're they're going to be awful this year. If they get Ben Simmons, that changes some things, though. It does, but if they also get the fourth pick and not Simmons, see, in the NBA, it's just such a crapshoot. Yep. I see three elite prospects so far. But and no, they're all small no, Towns at this time last year. He yep. wasn't really that this high on anybody's radar. Neither was D'Angelo Russell. So it's tough to start jockeying for position this early because, you know, players, they progress. And some yep. players, you know, you know, get on the decline. That You know, it's just kind of the... That's what's, that's what's beautiful about basketball. We won't really know who's got lottery locked probably until after the tournament. So we've got a lot of basketball to watch. So if you're rooting for the Blazers, you know, to get that lottery pick, don't root for losses right off the bat. Give this team a chance. I think they're really going to surprise you, and you're going to – I think Rip City's going to fall in love with all right, well, that does it for our Western Conference power rankings. It's going to be a very interesting year in the West. There's going to be a lot of carnage up at the top, and unfortunately, I don't think our Blazers are going to be a part of it. Hopefully, we'll have some excitement this year. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our Holy Backboard podcast tonight. Hope you guys enjoyed our look at the Western Conference. I hope you'll join us again next week. Well, a huge thank you to the sponsor of this podcast, the Medford Multicultural Fair. And hey, guys, make sure and check us out on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Don't forget, hit us up on Twitter, at HolyBackboard. And we're also taking questions at our Gmail, HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. You can hit us up on SoundCloud, at HolyBackboardPDX as well. Same with Stitcher. I'm Dustin. I'm Matt. I'm Sage. And And good good night, night. everybody. everybody.
Let's go!